Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Callum Caller, the brand manager for Patrol Grooming. So this week, we're talking influencer marketing. Thanks for downloading. Is influencer marketing still working? Can it still help your brand by getting a bunch of kind of Instagram and TikTok folks on your side? This is a great influencer chat with Callum Keller, the brand manager for Patrol Grooming. Now, Callum explains how he works with influencers. Uh, We talk about the differences between influencers and micro-influencers and how Patrol Grooming kind of prioritise user-generated content. You can find Callum on LinkedIn. Don't forget to check out the Patrol Grooming website. There's lots of links in the show notes give those a quick tap. Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is ad-free? I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can find out more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Callum was if influencer marketing is still working, is the industry still growing or is it shrinking? Yes, influencer marketing is still huge. I think it's a growing space. However, it's also adapting. It's changing Mm. and and fluctuating. And so I guess what I mean by that is that initially when you entered the marketing industry, really no matter what products you're talking about, no matter what uh, industry you're talking about, it was all about having somebody with a big name, somebody with a huge following, paying them gobs and goobs of money to uh, promote a product. And uh, I think where we've kind of adjusted over the recent past, recent past being over the past three years is more towards authenticism, you know, and, and, yeah. and your buyers, your, your consumers are looking for more authentic uh, creatives and more authentic pieces of marketing and ads. So we were, we're kind of straying away from those big name influencers and we're moving towards a lot of what you've probably heard is UGC, user generated content. Right. And so that principle is really that, you know, if I have 300 followers, I can also be an influencer because I'm enjoying the product and I'm having a more authentic experience with the product than somebody who's being paid a ton of money to to, to market it. And so I think uh, influencer marketing, the definition has kind of changed and uh, the consumer is looking more for authentic experiences. And yeah. so that's kind of where UGC comes in. But but even even today, like the market's moving pretty pretty rapidly to where UGC is also kind of trending downwards now and we're looking for that next next shift. Do you think the big influencers are seen as a little bit fake in a way? Because it's all set up, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I, I think I think the market is able to read through that. You obviously still have some of those names in the industry that, that are able to to uh, harness a lot of attention from the consumer. Yeah. And so those names, you, you'll still see the partnerships going on, and they're probably still very fruitful for both. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, you and I have seen left and right how a lot of those influencers then realize what they can do, and they go on to create their own brands. Yeah. Yeah, I remember years and years ago. I mean, it's quite a few years pre-pandemic, so quite a while ago. I, I went down to London to um, to watch a, an influencer shoot, uh, and it was a it was a, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he, he basically just wearing loads of clothes, and yeah. and it was like at five a.m. in the morning they'd closed off a small area 
of Oxford Street. There was like hair and makeup, there were cameras and lighting and all sorts of different things. And it was like, here's me kind of like just sipping my coffee on the side of the road. Here's me walking across the road. Here's me wearing this pair of trousers, another pair of trousers. And yeah. and it was being presented on Instagram as if this is me going about my daily life, yeah. right? But yeah. it was a photo shoot. It was a it was a model shoot. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it, part of part of the marketing aspect that that we do, and, and you know, some of the campaigns that we've done is really about how can we make what we're doing blend into somebody's normal daily life as well, and and that's part of creating that that more authentic experience. I, I mean, you want something that you can relate to. You, your yeah. family, individuals, my wife personally, you know, it, it, everybody wants something that they can relate to. And at the end of the day, marketing is communication. And so that's what I think uh, um, all companies are really trying to bring it down to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so you mentioned about the big names that they're, you know, possibly folks are stepping away from them. What about micro-influencers? Are micro-influencers and kind of user-generated content, are, are they the same thing or are we talking about slightly different things? So they kind of overlap. Uh, mm. So a lot of the people that we see uh, creating the UGC content are and end up being micro influencers. Mm. And I think based off of my experience, micro typically is defined by one to 10,000 followers. And then obviously you have your, your super micro, which are under a thousand followers where those are, uh, you know, those types of partnerships are not necessarily paid partnerships that you'll have with influencers or, mm. or the micro influencers. They're more um, kind of an exchange for product. Because at that time, it's also, hey, less influenced. If I give you this piece of product, give me an honest review instead of, um, you know, let me pay you $100 and then they feel more inclined to give you a, a bias review yeah. of the product. Um, and so I think right now, it, and this also flows with TikTok, a lot, of, a lot of what we're seeing is more, hey, here's my product. You're a micro-influencer. Uh, put this product into one of your get ready with me routine videos sure. so that people don't necessarily think that you're promoting the product, but that this is just what's part of your daily routine. And so sometimes a lot of that can be can be faked as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're more into kind of like throwing product at people than than paying them a, a bunch of bunch of money. You know, I, it's actually funny. I so so for the I, I'm really trying out everything uh, mm. to understand where I personally prefer to put our, our marketing dollars. Yeah. Uh, but I was watching a movie this weekend air about the partnership between um, between Nike uh, starting off and and Jordan Michael Jordan. Yeah. And uh, my strategy has always kind of been, uh, you know, before you go narrow go a little wider so that you know where you want to go narrow. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a learning lesson I took from the movie, but uh, they pretty much had a budget, not to spoil any of the movie, but essentially they chose one influencer instead of choosing three. Sure. Uh, with the marketing budget that they had. And so, uh, no, it's, 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 it's something that I'm moving into. Um, I haven't used anybody with a massive name yet. Uh, but we're looking to also move in that direction to try it out. Uh, yeah. It would, it could be worth our time, and and that could be something that, you know, we could create an authentic experience around that as well. You yeah. know, a lot of it is is looking at your influencer portfolio, looking at your network, and saying, hey, who is the right persona? Because I don't want I yeah. don't want somebody who's not the right persona that doesn't match what our brand stands for to come in and promote our brand because then it's going to look completely off. Yeah, yeah. 
You're going to need some budget for Michael Jordan. <laughs> We're praying for that, man. We're praying for that. Need a huge budget. Um, how does yeah. this all differ from affiliate marketing? I mean, I suppose yeah, you're not paying a percentage, are you? 100%. 100% and, and you nailed it on the head there. Affiliate marketing, a lot of what that is, is saying, hey, hey you know, uh, and a, a lot of affiliate marketing that we've done is more associated with the content creators on different platforms like YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you know somebody in YouTube that's going a little more in depth, long form content. They have uh, their promotional code, and and our consumers will benefit from that by saving a certain amount based off of their audience. Um, and then uh, they'll get paid a certain commission based off of the total revenue brought in from their sales. So that's yeah. a little, it, definitely a little different. There's less upfront cost with affiliate marketing, but it could still be great con uh, great great content. And so yeah. so you really have to focus on on a lot of fronts at once. You got to be doing affiliate marketing, some influencer marketing. You got to be doing your you know awareness campaigns and so forth. Uh, but probably the biggest thing I like about about affiliate marketing is it tends you, you have the option to choose to have a partnership with an affiliate whose audience more resonates with your crowd. Sure. In that yeah. right now, for example, we have uh, an affiliate marketing uh, partnership with a gentleman who goes through a bunch of uh, ways to elevate the male presence when it comes to fragrance, when it comes to yeah. hair grooming techniques and so forth. And so that, you know, right in line with our men's grooming line. Yeah. Yeah, and you only pay pay affiliates when they make a sale, right? No, hundred percent. It's a high high ROI marketing spend. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. How do you check that your influencers are the real deal, and you're not paying for a lot of engagement fraud? Because there's a lot of lot of fraud going on. There is, there is, and and um, I think a lot of what it has to do is when you're digging into the individual influencers, and there's a couple ways to do it. Uh, hmm in the influencer space you could go one-on-one -on -one, you know straight through instagram dms or tiktok dms facebook and, and messaging these individual personalities and and creating a relationship from their understanding you know asking them very transparently hey could you send me you know the back end of where your audience yeah. is as far as location what's your engagement rates and so forth and then you also have companies that you can go to that have these lists that are pre uh, obviously, you'll, you'll pay them a little. There's some that are pretty affordable, but they'll go ahead and kind of do all of the betting for you and give you all of these statistics on, on a larger scale. And so between those two, uh, it really comes down to, to reading through the, reading some of the fine print. And that, mm -hmm. that means like, you know, if you're about to engage an influencer and it's something that you're putting a little more spend behind for this influencer, you go into their comment section for some of their posts. You see, you know, compare how many followers they have versus how many likes they have. And, and yeah. just on an intuitive level, uh, see how authentic the, the, the comments are, see how people are engaging with them as a person as opposed to what they're posting. So is, enga um, is engagement more important for you than, than follower numbers? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, yeah. a, a lot of, uh, as, as we grow, you'll, you'll come to know uh, a lot of what I personally focus on is communities. Yeah. And I think yeah. that communities are the way to kind of grow a brand. If you're able to build a community around a passion, around education, around something that people share, then, then, then you can take a brand to the next level. When you start working with with an influencer, do you, do you kind of like put together some brand guidelines? Do, do, how much control do you have over what they do? Yeah, so uh, there are some rough brand guidelines when you're working with influencers. I think um, a lot of a lot of influencers today, 
uh, and com- sorry, a lot of companies today uh, see the influencer space kind of differently in that they are creators first. We are not necessarily yeah. creators first. We could be strategists first. Yeah. And so we leave a lot of the creative direction in, in, at our company in their hands because you don't necessarily, you don't really know what's going to go viral in today's realm. A lot of a lot of what we've seen over the past two years is is centered around what I like to call meme culture. Yeah, and so yeah, the yeah. jokes and the humor that you're able to capture on social media, those are the things that that are currently capturing users' attention and consumers' attention. And so I, when I give a a project or or commission a project to to an influencer, I really don't give them any sort of guidelines to restrict their creativity. But I do tell them one thing: I say, have fun with it. Mm-hmm. I say this is pretty much our, you know, our brand is is a problem solution. This product that you're about to promote is a problem solution product. This is what it's known for. And you really want to tell them a story about your brand. But then you let them run with it from there and, and kind of take it in their hands what they want to do with that. Yeah. How do you, you've mentioned authentic um, creativity quite a few times and authenticity. Um, how do you, because whenever you give something to someone, like when you give product to someone, they're always grateful and they're always nice. Yeah. Um, so, so if somebody hates something or they don't like something, or they see an issue with something, how do, how do we get around that? Because I, I, for example, when I used to, I used to work in radio years and years and years and years ago, and we used to like. They'd be like pizza parlors, and you'd phone up, and they'd send you a free pizza, and you'd love them, and you'd plug them for free, and you'd love them, even if the pizza was cold, you'd still love them because you'd done yeah. it for free. Do you know what I mean? How do you how do you get that really authentic feel out of people? You're 100 percent right. You really can't get 100 percent authentic mm. when you're when you're using this approach. So the way that we kind of go for for the 100 percent authentic, uh, we'll send kind of cold emails, not necessarily cold emails, but when we see that people have purchased more than five times on our, and this is mainly direct to consumer off of our website. Obviously, if somebody's buying a product from Walmart, it's pretty tough to go and get a hold of them. Yeah. Um, but after somebody, an individual has, has bought, purchased a product from us, uh, four or five times, four or five orders is the benchmark. Uh, we'll send them an email and ask for some feedback on their experience on our store. We'll ask mm-hmm. for some feedback, uh, you know, to leave a review as well. Yeah. The review requests will be sent after the first order, but a lot of times they don't come in until the third order, uh, for repeat business on our store. And, and, uh, so based off of asking for those, those feedback and those reviews, those are a lot more authentic experiences that we're able to capture uh, using our review systems on the website just because they paid for the product. They came yeah. to the product and, and you yeah. know, nothing really uh, pushed the product into their hands. Uh, and so those yeah. those are, when you speak of 100% authenticity, that's really as authentic as it's going to get. Yeah. But working with influencers, I think you're 100% right. Uh, there's always going to be some bias towards the brand that's that's kind of uh, feeding the feeding the mouth, if you will. Yeah, uh, what's the hit rate like, particularly when you when you're targeting or you're, you're asking um, existing customers to to become like send you some user generated content or something? What's the hit? What's the success rate like? To, are most people quite happy about doing a little video and sending it over and? You know, so it's got to be incentivized. Mm. Uh, so after your first order, we'll send a, a, an email and we'll have it set up to where an email sends out uh, after seven days of delivery. And so that it gives gives a user some time to uh, use the product and actually experience the product. And then we'll send out a request for a review 
uh, and obviously it prompts them to leave a picture review as well. If mm. uh, in seven days, after seven days, they do not leave a review, uh, then it will prompt them to leave a review with an image or a video or whatever sort of user-generated content. Um, and it will incentivize them uh, with a 10% discount. And so again, trying to capture that authenticity, we do incentivize them to share their experiences. It doesn't have to be a positive experience mm. to get to receive the 10% discount. But uh, we have gotten uh, a lot more. We've, we've increased our rates of, of response uh, using this tactic. And so um, I would say right now, and I, I'm not looking at the dashboard in front of me, I think we're at a 9% response rate. So for oh, every, uh, yeah, that's not just bad. about one in every 10 orders, we'll get, it, we'll get a nice review. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad, actually, because I thought it would think it was a lot less than that, to be fair, but that's not bad. Yeah, no, no. no. I, uh, you know, our, so our biggest order days are typically Saturday, and so if yeah. we leave a weekend with with uh, two to three reviews, we're happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you guys are, are kind of like in in male grooming, which I could do with a little bit of, to be fair. Um, not, <laughs> not so much hair product. I think that, that disappeared quite a few years ago. Um, but um, it's boiling hot in the UK at the moment, so, so definitely something more fragrant, I think. Um, which platforms are you finding uh, work best for you? Is it Instagram, TikTok? Yeah, so I'll tell you what, we're having a tough time with TikTok, and mm. I'll be upfront about it. Instagram is pretty native just because it's been around longer. Yeah. Uh, and, and our company is a little older. And so uh, adapting to TikTok, I'm, I'll be totally transparent. We, we're having a, a harder time adapting to TikTok. And yeah. whether that's, you know, uh, people on the team creating more trendy videos, it's not as intuitive uh, to people on the team. And so uh, maybe we need to look for, for, you know, looking to hire somebody under the 20-year-old age. Um <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's really uh, focusing on the trends and you really got to be what I found on TikTok specifically, you've got to be pretty native to the platform, understanding, seeing, consuming some of the content that's on there to be able to create the content that you want to put on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think uh, it's great for, for awareness engagement and, and a lot of top of funnel engagement, just because there's no other platform as TikTok that that you can garner, you know, a million views in, in 48 yeah. hours. There's nothing, nothing like it. And so uh, that intrigue is always going to keep us involved in TikTok and, and hopefully getting better at TikTok. Yeah. Um, what's pretty native to me, and, and like I said, I, I'm huge on the education side of things, is really when you have a product in the men's grooming space, you could ask me 10 questions about the product. Mm. You know, it, it could say it on the box, but mm. you're going to want to communicate maybe in a different style. And so what comes natural to me is, is YouTube. I, uh, yeah. I enjoy, I, I have somewhat of a real estate background and breaking down how real estate projects are, are taken down sure. and, and renovated and so forth. And so a lot of what I like to do and enjoy to do is going to be explaining what our products do, how to use them, how to shave, how to properly, you know, bra breaking myths in the, in the men's grooming space, yeah. how to properly groom yourself. And, and so, uh, YouTube is one of our strong suits at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of people. I think YouTube hits people across the board, doesn't it? A lot of demographics. It's not just young folk. It's old folk as well. On 100%. YouTube. Yeah, everyone yeah. is on YouTube. And you know, one of the big things that I see right now is, is Facebook is is making a huge comeback, uh, mm. or meta, I should say, mm. in, the, in the younger generations. And so... Uh, you know, people people in the in the twenties, uh, in their teens, also a lot more of them are more 
apt to use Facebook. And I think that trend's going to continue, whether it's because of Facebook marketplace and how they've enabled people to trade or whether it be because of the more specified groups that you're able to find on Facebook, whereas groups are not necessarily as easy on Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, I think I think one of the problems social media has had, I mean, social media is, is a young industry as it is. Anyway, it's only, what, 20 odd years old. So that's a, you know, it's a very young industry, really. But I think one of the issues it's always had is that it's it's grown with its audience. It's progressed with its audience. It's tried to keep its audience. And I, I always think that's a little bit of a problem. In the UK, we, we have a radio station which is called Radio One. Right, and it's it's like the the youth radio station, right? You you you've got to be listening to Radio One if you're aged like ten to I don't know twenty five, something like that, thirty, right? It's a fairly young young audience. Now the problem they had, like in the late eighties and early nineties, was that they grew with their audience. So all the presenters on the radio station were like in their forties and fifties, and they were still playing music from the nineteen sixties <laughs> and the seventies. But wow. the old and so the audience was growing with them and staying with them. Do you know what I mean? Whereas really, you want to get rid of that audience and pass them on somewhere else and stick to your core audience, which is youth. And I don't think Facebook did that. I think Facebook grew. So now Facebook is full of old folk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, man, I think it's going to change. I know, I know they're, they're, you know, kind of what you said about the radio station. Mm. I think Facebook understood that. They yeah. might be a little late, but they understood yeah. that and they're being reactive about it right now. Yeah. And so I, that, t- that touches on another point in marketing. One of the things that, you know, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Over Deliver by Brian Kurtz. Yeah. Over Deliver. And, uh, you know, brilliant book. One of the things that he pretty much talks about that relates, you, you nailed it on the head, the concept of, uh, you know, your customer lifetime value. Yeah. You know, in, in the example of the radio station, the customer lifetime value was great. It was massive, but they didn't do a great job of going out and, and doing new customer acquisition. Sure, yeah. And and so, uh, yeah, that's that's really, in a, for us as a brand as well, in the way that it would relate to a consumer product industry, you want to be focusing on new customer acquisition, but at the same time, when a new customer steps in the door, you want to maximize how long they're staying within your brand category yeah. and your brand. Yeah, because yeah, like I'm old, and if I go on TikTok, it's like, oh, man, what? <laughs> what, what are you doing? It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, because I'm old, right? But what I don't want to happen is I still want that to happen. When the people on TikTok now get old, they should then be looking at TikTok and going, oh, that's awful. That's terrible. They shouldn't be loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something's wrong there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, John, you can't be that old. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am. Um, so when you look at influencer marketing, do, do you look things as a long-term relationship or do, do you work things out as like just campaign by campaign? That's a great question. Um you know, so the way that I take it is I don't necessarily go in with a fixed fixed um, intention until I meet the the, the, the influencer, until I meet mm. the personality. Because there are certain personalities that we have built a longer-term relationship with, and those have opened multiple doors to other opportunities. Yeah. Right now, one that I'm happy to share. Um, there's a boxer in the United States, and his name is Kenny Smith Jr. Right. And he's going for his title fight in October. We supported him uh, – at his fight in in uh, May, and so uh, he won the fight in May. And obviously, after supporting him in May, we were able to uh, 
grow and he was able to open yeah. up another door for us yes, yeah. uh, to, to partner with him leading up to his title fight in October. And so, you know, great opportunities like that. We, we love uh, partnering with some uh, college athletes here in the United States, university athletes, and uh, supporting those people as well. So as they grow, we're able to maintain those relationships and build with them. Um, Kellen, thanks ever so much for your time. Um, I've enjoyed this chat. Uh, where can we find you? Where's um, Patrol Grooming? You can find us on uh, social media at Patrol Grooming, and our website is patrolgrooming.com for all of our products in our catalog. Fantastic. Lovely. Thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Callum for his time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon. It's everywhere. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.